my name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Members to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today, I'm speaking with David Trogdon. He uh, retired from the U.S. Army after 33 years of military service in 2015. He currently serves with the Hope Project as the the chaplain. And uh, forgive me if I'm I'm getting this wrong, but um, didn't you found the the Hope Project? I did, Uh, along with a couple of friends that I'd met while I was still active duty. Okay. Uh, and, and then through his many years of military service, uh, that includes 16 years as an army chaplain, where he deployed to Iraq twice, Afghanistan, Africa, and, and Kuwait in support of Operation Enduring Freedom and Operation Iraqi Freedom. His awards include three bronze stars and the Purple Heart. David specialized in trauma, combat stress, child loss, and grief counseling. He's a graduate of Welch College, Southeastern Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, the Army Command and General Staff College, U.S. Army Chaplain Basic and Advanced Courses, U.S. Army Military Intelligence Center and School, the Basic Airborne Course, and Clinical Pastoral Education. He is the co-author with Dr. Eddie Moody of First Aid for Your Emotional Hurts, Veterans, and author of Operation Eternal Freedom. So thank you so much, uh, David, for for coming on and uh, agreeing to have this conversation with me. We've been talking about it for a little bit, and, uh, you know, Diane is a huge fan, and, you know, she's been talking about you ever since I met her, and... um, I just, uh, you know, I feel very fortunate to have to have met you, and really, the more I get to know about you, uh, you know, the more clear it is how much of an honor it is to have you on my show. So I really appreciate you being here. Well, that's totally mutual. Not only with Diane, um, she's an amazing woman and veteran, and been through so much and is making a difference, but also, um, I'm honored to be on here with you, and you have your story, and you are being a blessing and making a difference, and really, that's what it's all about. I'd like to get a sense of of who you are, where you know what you come from, um, some of your experiences uh, that that really shaped who you are, and and put you on the path to what you're doing now. So. Uh, where were you born and raised, and, and what were some of your early influences? Okay. Um, my dad and mom and family, um, my dad was from West Virginia in the mountains. Uh, his grandmother was a Hatfield, if you're familiar with the Hatfield McCoys. And 
my mom was from uh, Kentucky in the mountains. And so I've definitely got an, um, a hillbilly influence. <laughs> and uh, so my family moved from West Virginia via New Jersey for a short time up to Fort Wayne, Indiana. And um, my dad's background, he had been an alcoholic and um, had been in the military, been in the army for a short time and left as a buck private because uh, of his drinking issues. And, um, but, you know, he found faith in Christ and later uh, joined the ministry. And so he grew up and um, moved to Indiana and started churches. And so I grew up PK, a preacher's kid. And they're in northern Indiana in a hillbilly home. And uh, my brother, older brother, had a serious problem with drugs. And there was a lot of combat in my home. And uh, 17, I ran away from home and joined the Army. And I was, uh, believe it or not, I was military intelligence for nine years. And I was blessed. I was an E6 when I was 22 and selected for warrant officer. But um, I felt God was calling me to go into the ministry. So I left with my wife and two small kids at that time and went to Welch College. And, and um, I didn't want anything else to do with the military. Um, in fact, when I left uh, Fort Myer outside of DC, um, I actually changed out of my BDUs into my civilian clothes on the Beltline without even stopping the car. And uh, <laughs> Funny thing is, I was still driving better than a lot of people in D.C., but um, didn't want anything to do with the military. But once I graduated from Welch College, from Bible College there, I uh, pastored a small church um, in Clayton, North Carolina. And the interesting thing was I uh, decided I needed to go to seminary because I needed to learn more. But the thing about Clayton, it was only about an hour or so from Fort Bragg. And so all the news of the military, um, you know, was a constant reminder to me of my own service. And God be, began to kind of work in my heart. And even though the church was growing and great things were happening, I left in 2000 um, to go back in the Army as a, as a chaplain. Greatest ministry ever for a chaplain, pastor type, and uh, went into the hospital chaplaincy area a little later on. And. Then I uh, went to, I did three of my four deployments with 30th Infantry Division and did, you know, was there for the invasion slash liberation of Iraq. And um, then I did, um, came back to Iraq later for 15 months. I was an EOD chaplain for all of Iraq. And uh, I was one of those crazy chaplains that jumped out of a few planes and got to blow up stuff all over Iraq. You know, I was always out with my soldiers. And uh, then went to, ended up going through Fort Rucker when I got back from Iraq the second time to Fort Stewart, Georgia, and uh, went to Afghanistan. And it was a very difficult deployment. Um, our task force lost like 19 uh, in our area. And um, I just knew I was gonna come home alive. Our little fob in a bad neighborhood took, uh, we had over, 200 rocket attacks in nine months. And so I was just convinced I was gonna die there. And I was okay with that. I mean, it was, um, by that time I'd already been officially diagnosed with PTSD. And a lot of it, you mentioned the child loss ministry. 
when I was at Fort Campbell, most of the chaplains were gone at that time to Iraq. And for three years, I handled every trauma, every death, every child loss. And with um, the babies, several hundred. And so, you know, between that and Iraq and everything, the PTSD, I knew something was wrong. And uh, I was blaming everything on the TBIs because I had multiple traumatic brain injuries by that time. And I remember when I was first diagnosed with PTSD, it was like, you know, the doc said, you have significant depression and significant PTSD. My first thought was, no, I'm a chaplain. I can't have PTSD, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, I knew I was broken because of the TBIs, but now you're telling me I'm crazy. And um, one thing I decided to do was to be very public about having PTSD. And um, that was a blessing. I had young soldiers who would come up to me and say, chaplain, thank you. Because if, it, if a chaplain can have PTSD, anyone can. And I battled suicide. And honestly, sometimes those thoughts you know, will come and go. Um, and um, went to uh, Fort Benning for the second time. And I was a deputy garrison chaplain and, you know, made that promotion to 05, Lieutenant Colonel. And then uh, the doctors said, hey, it's time. You can't do this anymore. And physically, I was busted. Emotionally, I was busted. And I was broken. And so they medically retired me. And uh, it was tough, that transition. You know, the Army and its paperwork said, you're no longer fit to continue service as an Army soldier. And uh, my thought was, you made me unfit. I was fit yeah. when I joined, but, you know, you broke me. But it, it was tough. And I tell everybody I'm God's sense of humor because I had some friends at the time who were rescuing horses from kill pins. And so uh, I moved to Florida to use horses to do equine therapy with wounded warriors and vets starting with PTSD. And I also, because of my time as a hospital chaplain, both at Fort Benning, excuse me, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, um, working uh, trauma in Afghanistan with a Ford surgical team and um, Walter Reed, um, I knew what first responders um, how they felt so many times, and uh, I was a chaplain for them too. So when I started the Hope Project, I decided it wouldn't only be for vets or active duty military, it'd also be for first responders, because normally people don't dial 911 just to say hi and see how you're doing, and, you know, especially with my time at Fort Campbell at the hospital there, um, with all the traumas and deaths, you know, I wanted to reach out to first responders as well, and I didn't know equine meant horse, didn't know anything about horses. And here I am, you know, six years later. And uh, we're blessed. So that's my life story. Some of it might be true. <laughs> stories. Uh, so you founded the Hope Project with some of your buddies and, and, and it's grown over the last six years. And uh, for, for those listening that may know, or maybe it, it's them, that uh, that are struggling with PTSD, um, they're uh, a veteran first responder. How, how would they get in touch with you? How do you apply to be you know 
okay. be a part of your, your program? Sure. Um, first of all, everything we do is free. Uh, we don't charge anything. Um, and we work with vets and first responders, but we also work with abuse victims, addictions, um, children with special needs. And uh, to schedule or to set up, you know, to come out and see us and meet us and to meet our horses and our other animals, which just about all rescues like we are, um, you know, you can contact me. Uh, my cell phone is on all the brochures it's on uh, our website and uh, it's also on our facebook and now i even do little devotional uh messages on tiktok you know so that's <laughs> kind of cool but we went from you know when we first started to now we're reaching uh several hundred a month wow. and um, it's not just coming and doing for formal therapy which we do you know, and the horses, I can tell you all about the horses and how that works. But we're also a community of, of veterans and first responders and others. And one of the things about PTSD that the military has done wrong for so long, and which has been done right in so many other cultures and through history, um, you know, we can be in Afghanistan one day and the next day, you know, we, we can be right here and, you know, near Panama City Beach in Florida. And it's like whiplash and, you know, and then you do stuff with the VA and the VA has some good and some bad, you know, depends on who you talk to. Um, but you're separated and you don't have that tribe. You don't have that community, those battle buddies that you served with and deployed with and you were willing to die for them and they were willing to die for you. And we lose so much of that and we try to handle stuff on our own and you know i can't do this alone you know and we need one another and so we're a community so just you know send me a message send me an email text me call me we'll set up a time for you to come out and uh, see us and meet us uh, one cool thing is a chaplain it's just like a chaplain in the military or so many chaplain uh, that work with our first responders um, I have 100% total confidentiality, just like I did active duty. Um, anything you say, it's totally between me and you. And um, sometimes that's a little bit easier than necessarily talking, you know, to someone, um, to a professional, which I encourage that as well. And that's why we work so close with Diane and the vet center or the VA or some other counseling services and refer back and forth. For those that aren't familiar with equine therapy, what what does that involve? Sure. Uh, and I, I say I was got such a humor because I didn't know what equine meant. And I didn't know anything about horses. And, you know, I'd had my experiences in, in the military and deployments and, you know, everything that kind of comes with that. But I was afraid of horses. You know, there were these big animals that I had no control of. And uh, what I found out uh, is funny because I knew I wanted to do equine therapy, but I didn't know anything about it. So I just Googled equine therapy. And, you know, there's several different equine models. And, uh, you know, there's PATH, and uh, that's primary riding for those with disabilities. And 
I, I couldn't do path because you know the standards to for your horsemanship for your knowledge of horses were way above me and uh, my knowledge and experience and so I ended up um, going with EGALA which is an acronym which has to do with equine therapy and learning and all that and so I became certified um, um, and I say I'm certifiable <laughs> to, to work and to do equine therapy and I'm a member of that. Um, one thing I learned, horses are totally amazing. They read your facial expressions. They read your body language. They can hear your heartbeat four feet away. And uh, they know your emotions. So, you know, you can fool a chaplain or a counselor or therapist, whatever, but you can never fool a horse. You know, you can't lie to a horse. Um, and what we do with Igala and what we do at our main ranch at Hope. And we also have some partnerships to do some uh, therapy for riding as well. But um, what we do is um, myself and a horse person, an equine therapist, um, an equine specialist, um, we will give you a task or you know, a couple, family or a group because uh, we do competition, you know, we could get some firefighters out there and put them against the cops or something, doing some competition. <laughs> but we would give you something to do involving the horses. And then myself and the equine specialist, the horse person, we're going to watch the interaction between you and the horses. And, um, you know, maybe take them through an obstacle course. And it's on the ground, you know, mainly what we do. And then afterwards, we're going to talk about that interaction because the horses are going to interact with you based on your emotions and everything going on. And they act differently with different people. You know, it's so amazing. It's like they know what's going on. And then um, the person, client, whatever, is kind of gonna do their own little metaphor or parable using the horses about what's going on in their lives. And it's pretty powerful because you can tell a horse anything and you're safe. And so often it may be you going out and just loving on a horse and let that horse love on you and uh, just sharing your hurts with that horse and, you know, watching how they react. You know, it's amazing because of all my TBIs, I battle headaches and everything. And I've had all the medication that the army could think of and uh, didn't work to, you know, make me tired where I couldn't finish a sentence. I even tried Botox shots in my head, like 50 of them. And all I did was hurt like crap and I didn't look like Brad Pitt or <laughs> you. <laughs> and, uh, but the funny thing is I get around the horses and the headaches go away. Okay. And, and I've seen that with other uh, vets with back pain, you know, cause of injuries and everything. I had one Iraq vet named like 13 horses. One of his soldiers from Iraq, each one of them were different. Um, and it's pretty cool. I know how they normally act but they could act totally different with you, you know, contrary to their normal personality. And so it's pretty amazing. And we've had great success with vets uh, and those like myself struggling with PTSD. Diane is, you know, she went out and got certified in EGALA as well. And so, you know, maybe she could bring you over to the ranch and put you through the, you know, yeah. put you through a, a session. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm definitely going to come out there and, um, Diane and I have been talking about it for for a while now. Uh, we just got to make the time. Um, it's, I understand totally, and uh, we actually 
uh, with either the VA or the vet center, there are times we're seeing the same clients where uh, the vet center I am maybe working with one issue and we're either complementing that or we're working with another issue using equine therapy. And uh, I'm not by any means, you know, anti-medication or anti, you know, the regular accepted means of therapy and counseling, you know, because I see counselors. Um, and so, you know, this is kind of a multidisciplinary approach. And I don't force faith on anyone, just like when I was a chaplain, I don't force faith on anyone. Uh, my faith is essential for me um, in my battles and, and struggles. But if someone wants to talk about faith, you know, or, or go there, we'll definitely do that. If they don't, that's fine too. So I recently had a, a conversation with somebody where the, this came up, where we were talking about the different modalities to treat PTSD. And there's so many, and I, I've, I've tried most of them. Uh, <laughs> and it, it, when I was trying to explain it to this, this person, uh, say, you know, this, this method worked really well when I, when I was working on this, but then it didn't do a whole lot for this. So, you know, mm -hmm. move on and find find that this other modality works really well for this. And I, and I think that it, it, what you're, what you're talking about that multiple multidisciplinary uh, approach to healing. Uh, you know, I only know my experience and, and maybe the experience of a few others, but from what I can tell that is the most effective way to to heal um, is to be open to multiple modalities. Sure. And PTSD is very personal. And my PTSD is going to be different than yours or anyone else's. I don't even like the term PTSD, but nobody knows what PTS is if I just start talking that way. It's funny, I've had several people say, well, you work with veterans with PSTD. And I said, well, that's a different issue, but sure. You know? <laughs> um, but um, it's and for me, you know, I I believe PTSD is a normal reaction to trauma, to horrible trauma, and especially with military or first responders or maybe you know with abuse victims who've lived years of abuse and trauma. Um, for me, PTSD is trauma to the soul, and if we don't do some soul work. I think we're, we may end up only treating symptoms. Yeah. And so, you know, even my own life, I, um, faith is huge. But, um, you know, I talk to counselors. I, I have one from the VA I talk to, and, you know, that helps. Um, uh, I take my crazy pills, you know. They're not the fix or the answer, but they help a little bit, maybe take a little the edge off and uh, I'm open to other modalities you know um, I, I meet people all the time and say hey have you tried this and hey you know why not because um, it's complex yeah. and people are complex and um, PTSD has been around since you know the time of Moses and I believe King David had PTSD and that's why he self-medicated with Bathsheba then make it right there's no excuse for us to do wrong 
but it's been around Native Americans, uh, you know, the term was the spirit has left him. And, uh, you know, you talk about civil war, which uh, civil war PTSD was known as soldier's heart. And, you know, to me, that's my favorite definition of PTSD, soldier's heart. And then, you know, you look at shell shock or battle fatigue and, you know, it was like, I think it was 1980 when it was officially called, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. And the uh, problem is we kind of left everything up to uh, the behavior health fields and we didn't create that community and uh, we didn't take our responsibility to reach out to those who are hurting. And so multidisciplinary, you know, the family, the friends, the buddies, churches, you know, everybody that can, uh, you know, be a blessing to help, to help us along. Yeah. I, it's interesting that you, you bring up that community aspect. Um, what I've found to be really powerful and I, I, I was just interviewing uh, another person uh, right before this interview um, who was talking about fellowship, you know, this, this organization that, that he's the president of. Um, they bring men together that uh, want to develop as leaders, develop as men, and, you know, I guess get healthy. And, um, you know, there, it, the interview was uh, with this guy, Frank Schwartz, who is the president of the F3, I don't know if it's foundation movement, but it's called F3 and it's uh, fitness, fellowship and faith. And those are the, the three pillars of, of that organization. And I, I thought it was really powerful, not just the fitness or the faith, but the, the fellowship aspect of it and how applicable that is to what you were talking about with the tribe aspect of the military, the battle buddies. And, you know, like with, with first responders, you know, day in, day out running calls with, with your fellow firefighters and law enforcement officers, and you're experiencing the same stuff, you might experience it in a different way from a different perspective, but you're there together and you know, in some, you know, I, I know that betrayal trauma is one thing. And I think that is something that, uh, you know, when, when handed those separation papers and like, yeah, you're not fit for duty or, you know, here, I mean, they do the same thing in the fire service or law enforcement if you're diagnosed with a, a mental health issue, you know, you can't, you can't work. And that's a, a real fear about coming clean with what you're struggling with while you're still active. And you can't like, it's ruined careers. Mm -hmm. And, and it's just another form of betrayal, you know, not necessarily like, you know, you, you cheat on your spouse or something, but you're betrayed by something that you've given so much of yourself to. Right. And, you know, 
to to be able to get some of that back through you know communing with with fellow veterans or first responders and and being there to i don't know just hold space and like go yeah you know i might not have had the same experience as you but i've felt the same emotions as you definitely and um one of the difficulties for first responders veterans um you know, I, I look around and I see behind you, you know, evidence of you being a firefighter. And, um, you know, if you look around, you know, I've got military stuff and um, you'll never be a civilian again. And I'll never be a civilian again. And uh, we're different. And, um, you know, you all run into burning buildings while others run out. You know, we run you know, or, or police officers. I mean, you know, we run towards the fire, you know, and I still would, you know, <laughs> uh, because that's just how we are. And to be thrown into this strange retirement world or this strange civilian world, and you're feeling all alone and you're feeling broken. Um, and too many uh, will isolate and too many, you know, the mentality suck it up and drive on. And, you know, one of the main reasons we do this is, you know, the 22 a day. And we don't know for sure how many veterans every day commit suicide, the numbers go up and down. And, you know, we don't know how many are quote accidental overdoses or car accidents, um, but we need each other. And, you know, we, I go to the VA nursing home and we do stuff here at Sims there. And, and uh, you got World War II vets and Korean War vets and Vietnam vets and then, you know, some of the later ones. And we weren't in the same war. You know, we were maybe 40 years apart in age almost. But there is that commonality where we know what it feels like. And um, that's why we have first responders that come to hope. And some of the most serious um, issues with PTSD that I've ever seen has been first responders, some of their issues um, and some of their struggles and being able to see the healing and to see the, pro the progress that's made, not only with them, but we do a lot with military sexual trauma and you talk about the betrayal. Um, you know, at least I can say, hey, I got hurt in Iraq or Afghanistan, you know, by an enemy. Yeah. But that kind of betrayal or some of the other abuse victims we work with, um, you know, the ultimate betrayal by people who are supposed to protect you, people who are supposed to love you, um, that you trust. And no wonder the issues are there and the pain is there, but being able to see them come out and maybe be part of a community or start working with the amazing horses. I, I could take all day long and just tell you story after story after story of people who have met horses who have totally been transformed. And, uh, you know, we stand there and we know these horses and we're just like, wow, did Merida just do that? <laughs> and and it's, it's great, but I, I think the community is essential. You know, I never left the FOB. I never went outside the wire by myself. You know, one thing I'm, I'm unarmed as a chaplain, but we never went alone. 
you know, no matter what war movies that you might see. And we can't fight this on our own either. You know, we need our buddies and we need community. We need people we know we can trust that care about us. For those listening right now that might be in that dark place, that that place of isolation and, you know, hopelessness, what what would you say to them if you were sitting there talking to them right now? Yeah. I, I would say, you know, you got to reach out. Um, you can't do this alone and you, you, you shouldn't do this alone. And there are safe ways to get help. And, um, you know, one of the reasons we're called the Hope Project is there's always hope. You know, you're still breathing and more people care about you and love you than you can ever begin to imagine. And faith-wise, I can tell you God loves you and where there's God, there's always hope. Um, but definitely reach out. Don't try to do this on your own. We care about you. And I know anytime I read about or hear about someone who has ended, ended your life, I'm devastated. Um, you know, I've lost soldiers and others in a lot of different ways. Yes, in combat, you know. Um, yes, cancer, motorcycle accidents, training accidents, you know, heart attacks. But I've lost way too many to suicide. And I can tell you, losing a soldier or a family member or a buddy to suicide is far worse than losing one, you know, in a fire or, you know, because I've seen what it does to others. Um, I have helped pick up the bodies. I have um, done the services. I've been with the units. Um, I even at one time, I uh, had to show the parents where the kid shot himself because they wouldn't believe it. And they demanded to see, you know. Um, one of the things that stops me when I'm in a dark place is I could not do that to my family. I could not do that to my buddies. I could not do that to the person who'd have to find me because I've done that several times. Um, and it's not fair for me to put my pain on others who don't deserve it. So it's far better I live with my pain than put that on others. And the thing is, I don't have to just live with my pain. There's help out there. Chaplain, I, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with me, to share with me, to, to share your story. Uh, I know the people listening. Without fail, anytime I have one of these conversations, I get emails and you know, the, the fact that you've established this resource for, for veterans and first responders and, and, and children and victims of military sexual trauma, like this, what a phenomenal resource. And I, I would, I would urge everyone listening to, 
to go to your website. I'll have the link in the show notes. Go to the website, connect with you, at least make yourself aware of this resource because you might come in contact with somebody that needs that one piece of information to, to make it through whatever crisis they're in right now. So well, I'm very blessed. And there's a reason my cell phone is on our website. It's on Facebook. It's on all of our brochures. Because if there's that person in a dark place, I'm a chaplain. I'm still a chaplain. And call me. You can put it out on your podcast. That's totally, call me. I will answer. I will listen. And I will help if I can. Um, you know, don't do this alone. The Lone Ranger and the suck it up, drive on hardcore. That doesn't work. Uh, a couple of years ago, one of the special forces soldiers, uh, he'd had multiple, like 12, 15 deployments, took his life. And uh, his nickname was Captain America. And I had talked with him and counseled with him and yes, prayed with him and uh, years before in Afghanistan. And that's a devastating loss, you know, um, devastating to so many people. And um, it's unnecessary, you know, but thank you to all of our vets and thank you to all of our first responders. Um, Y'all are my heroes as well. And uh, thank you for this opportunity. And if it helps one person, it's well worth it. So thank you for all you do and what you're doing. On my website, I have a resources page uh, for mental health resources. And I will actually link this episode on that page along with the link to your website so that when people are, are checking out that page, um, they'll they'll be able to watch this episode to, you know, listen to it or, you know, go, go through your website, connect with you on social media. I, I'm assuming that the, the links to your social media accounts are on your website. Yes, they should be. I'll, I'll make sure that um, this, this gets out there because it, it, what a valuable resource. So, you know, thank you again. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.